Wait for it, wait for it, and we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just a couple of nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun into function. Uh, and because I said that out of habit without actually reading the script, I forgot to tell you we had a chaos coordinator uh, on crew as well, and she will stab Nick for my mistake. So, oops. Uh, that'll be the third time this week. It happens, but you like it. You married her, so you're stuck with her. That's true. I heal quickly, apparently. Yeah, I, I can see that. All right, so first we're going to let our guests introduce themselves to our viewing and listening audiences at home, and we're going to start with Mr. Garrett K. Jones. Find me a name I can pronounce. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You, I give my name at Starbucks, and they're like, "Okay, Gary." No, <laughs> no, no you're missing some letters there, sweet C. Yeah, that's so I pronounced Barat. I actually got to the point a few years ago where I would give them like the most ridiculous thing, so they had to say it out loud. Got a friend that does that. It was awesome. It was a lot of fun. They would actually have to call out Batman, and mm -hmm. so. Um, so uh, I guess the, the thing about me is I'm an, I'm an author, indie author. Uh, I write fantasy. I have five books out in a current ongoing series called The Archives of the Sink Ran. Um, book five just actually celebrated its uh, one-year anniversary yesterday. Um, so I'm doing a special promo that I'm knocking $5 off the cost of each of the books if they're bought directly from me. I'm not going to control anything on Amazon because Amazon takes a huge cut as it is. So, yeah, so normally the books run $15 each. You get a signed copy, but uh, this up, up through week day, you get them for $10 each. Nice. Yeah. And then uh, nice. beyond that, I, uh, I host a couple of different podcasts um, simultaneously. I do one on YouTube called uh, The Right Way, and where I, I do uh, author interviews. I bring on guest hosts to do uh, top 10 book recommendations, and then I do creative writing tips because my background is in creative writing. And then uh, I also co-host a Star Wars podcast called War of the Stars, which airs weekly on the Geek News Now network. Uh, that's what I was recording before I jumped on here. Uh, we're doing a um, for the uh, for this week's episode. It's actually for the uh, fifth and fifth anniversary of the Star Wars podcast day. Um and so, like, now there's something like 90-plus podcasts all focusing on Star Wars. And so it comes up as the anniversary of the first Star Wars podcast airing in 1999. And then, um, so for our special episode, uh, we actually had, uh, we were doing a fan cast of the OG Thrawn trilogy written by Timothy Zahn. And then the other podcast that I host uh, is one that's a little bit more near and dear to my heart, and that one's called Storytellers. Um, and it's talking about my uh, healing journey, wor working through the last few years of, of going through and finalizing a divorce. Okay. So when I go to Starbucks and I really want to confuse them, I just tell them Publius Cornelius Scipio Africanus the Elder. Uh, and then I make them spell it and pronounce it right. I I'm not so mean as I make them say it in the ancient Roman, Latin, if you were. But, hey, but uh, that's, a, that's a good gladiator reference. He's also the guy that beat Hannibal at, at Carthage. So, right, that's where I'm getting the the gladiator reference because they re, they reenact that fight. 
Oh, that's right. They did. I forgot about that. Got to watch the movie again. We should do a review, Nick. We don't have other things. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot. I <laughs> okay, and then uh, next we have the lovely Mr. JT. I'm sorry, I was coughing. What's your last name again? Yeah, it's JT Arrayo. So can you introduce yourself, JT? Hey, I'm a uh, science fiction, fantasy, and horror author. Uh, currently writing a lot of short stories and working on a couple novels. Uh, novels are pretty far out, though, on being finished. But, you know, okay. just keeping at it. So we, and uh, he's we, the oracle for all things Halo and Destiny, as we've discovered. We have. That's actually very <laughs> happy. Uh, and we're going to have him back when we do some of the, we, what was it? Um, Forward Unto Dawn, I think, was the movie we were going to do a review of. Yeah. yeah. So, great movie. Well, it is yeah, a great, great movie. movie. Um, so he's been on before, but this will air first. So this is your first time meeting him. He is awesome. We can't pronounce his last name, but that's okay. We like him anyway. I found. Oh, if I was going to pronounce it in Spanish. There's so many things going on in his last name. It would sound completely different because you got the double R's, which means you got to roll them, and then you got the two L's, which comes out as like a like yeah. I. I'm not. I. <laughs> We're just going to move on. Um, and so the next <laughs> introduction, dear listeners, how we found them. I found JT on the Three Ravens Discord. As you know, if, you, if you've listened to previous episodes, we've affiliated with them. And then I found Garrett when I was live street, live tweeting, watching this app, ep- these 10 episodes for this review. And I was just commenting as I was watching. And then he started joining the chat with me, commenting back and forth. I'm like, you should just come on the show with us. And then we found out he was an author and sci-fi nerd and like Star Wars. And I'm like, Nick, your people. <laughs> Welcome to the shit show. <laughs> when, uh, when I told Nick you were coming, when I told Nick you were coming, he's like, grumble, grumble. I don't know if we want new people. This is supposed to just be a chill episode. I'm like, he's a Star Wars fan. He's like, okay, we're okay. <laughs> oh, he's a Star Wars guy? All right. Yeah, he's cool. Right now, boom, good to go. All right, Garrett, because you have not been on the show before, uh, JT, you've answered them already. They'll have to wait for future episodes to listen to them. But, Garrett, the religion question Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Um, I like all three. I'm I lean more heavily towards Star Wars because it was just my thing growing up because it's it's a nice blend of, of space and fantasy. Um, I grew up reading Arthurian legend and it's derived pretty much, you know, shot for shot out of, out of King Arthur, but I'm also a big brown coat. I love Firefly. Um, one year for Halloween, I went dressed as Jane Cobb complete with his actual cunning cap. Yes. <laughs> oh, I've got like three or four. Well, I think JT also has three or four blue sun shirts. I know yeah. I have I've got two. Yeah. Time for some. Um, I mean, I do like Star Trek. I do like Star Trek. I grew up on uh, the Next Generation and DS Nine. Um, and one year for Halloween, I went as uh, as Wesley Crusher. Um, no one got the reference, but okay, cool. Shut up, Wesley. Um, you just wanted everyone to hate you. Well, every everybody hates him now. That's because of the actor. 
Yeah. You know, yes. Like no, I mean, well, I don't know. Was the shut up Wesley and, a thing? And really in the show, it was Picard that hated him because he kept telling him to shut up. Yeah. Because he was a 14-year-old kid on the bridge. And I have a 14-year-old stepson that shut up, Caden. Shut up, Caden. Because they'll talk all day long if you let them about nonsense. I've been a teacher. I can attest to this. He has to tell us what we all just saw on the movie. Oh, the best is when we make reference to something we saw on the movie five minutes later, delayed fuse. He's like, hey, did you guys notice about five minutes ago that it's like, dude, we were just talking about that. Where were you? My, my favorite is when the kids ask you the questions and you're like, you know, if you wait five seconds, they're about to answer that for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I just tell them maybe it'll further the plot because I don't want to answer his questions. All right. And this is why they'll never take the sky from us. Uh, and because we are polytheistic <laughs> over here at the Blasters Blades podcast, Game of Thrones, Wheel of Time, or Chronicles of Narnia? Um, I grew up with Chronicles of Narnia, mostly Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, yeah. But I do like Game of Thrones as a series. I've never read the books. Um, and at this point, I'm probably not going to since George R. R. Martin's going to eat himself into a coma before that ever happens. <laughs> and it's not like you can finish the books and do anything different than what's already been done because, you know, he's already screwed the pooch on that one. Um, but I am also a big fan of of Tolkien. I know it's not on the list. Um, used to be. But um, I, I love The Hobbit. I, I think it was a great book. I couldn't get past the first chapter of Fellowship of the Ring, though. Uh, so one of my best friends, who is a I call him my Tolkien scholar, he, you know, that's one thing he holds against me. But uh, yeah, I'm. I don't. Well, the funny thing is, I don't read much fantasy for as much as I write it, um, just because I don't want to borrow from other people. Um, so that's just kind of how I'm wired. So yes. we, used, we used to have it as the religion question um, against uh, Game of Thrones and Wheel of Time, but it's just unfair to any other property to put Tolkien in the same breath. So we just stopped doing it when everyone was started answering it. I mean, it becomes so predictable that you had to mix it up. Well, and then we, we add the caveat, like, well, if you don't like any of those three, you can come up with uh, option D, and the option D always goes back to Tolkien. Yeah, everyone yeah. goes back to Lord of the Rings. So it's like, I, I yeah, will say though, there is a there is a fantasy series that I do like. Um, it's written by uh, Jonathan Stroud. It's called the Bartimaeus series. There's three books in a trilogy that take place in modern day, um, and it's kind of an urban fantasy. But the fourth book in the series actually serves as a prequel, and it's called The Ring of Solomon. It takes place during the last few months or years of King Solomon's reign over Israel. Um, before before Israel split up into into two kingdoms, and uh, and it, and Bartimaeus is this fourth level genie that uh, is a, a key character through all four books, and so like the characters that are followed that are human, all their narrative is done in third person omniscient, whereas when you start following the chapters from Bartimaeus's perspective, everything's done in first person, and there's all these little quips and asides done as footnotes in the book because there are things that he can't get to in, in the actual narrative. And it's, it's really funny. He's, he's really, he's really a cheeky character. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of Britishisms and humor to it. Very dry, but it's so, it's so well-written. Okay. I could dig that. 
we can accept that as an answer. All right, and uh, be money on books. Because we are uh, we are civilized human beings here now. We are we are um, well past our knuckle dragging days. Coffee or tea, and how do you take it? I'm mostly a, I'm mostly a tea drinker. Um, if I'm going to drink it, uh, usually it's with honey and maybe a little bit of lemon juice. Nothing else. Um, I don't put sugar in it. I, I unfortunately like I've spent time living in the South, and I just I don't understand how they can do that to their tea. Um, as far as coffee, though, I will put copious amounts of things in there to make it taste as much like a milkshake as possible. Okay. I'm pretty much 50-50 creamer and uh, and coffee, but I make my coffee extra strong to compensate. And maybe mm. one day when I grow up, I'll drink it black. I can't drink it black. It's just, it's, yeah. We happen to know a company that makes special flavored coffees that taste like milkshakes. And all kinds of other great things. Tell us about this coffee. It's called Coffee Brand Coffee. <laughs> so they just released a coffee called Strawberries and Cream. Mm, I don't know about that one. All you gotta do is use the link below in the comment or the uh, code podcast grunts, and they uh, they will hook you up. Uh, <laughs> get ten percent off. Um, That's right, just ten percent. Yeah, at this I couldn't point, remember if it was five or ten. At this point, they also have teas show. and hot cocos. Yeah, yes, they also have teas and hot cocos now. And snacks. And swag. I got all kinds of swag. But I love the uh, the sticky pecan roll coffee. The blueberry crumble coffee. It is super good. I love that one. That's my favorite. Obviously, I like the bourbon, the bourbon coffee. The bourbon flavored coffee. Yeah, I had their uh, I, double caffeinated one. I actually had a friend of mine provide me with a uh, a bag of coffee that she picked up in Nicaragua, and nice. it is amazing. Like it is so so darn good. Like, um, I I I I have brewed it up. It's been a while. It's been uh, sitting in my cupboards for a couple months. I had to cut back because of the amount of caffeine I was getting. And uh, it tasted so, so good. All right. So with that out of the way, we've duly shilled for the affiliate sponsor that helps keep the lights on with us. And we appreciate every time you use the code, it kicks a little something back. And so far, we're up to four episodes paid for uh, through that affiliate program. So we appreciate that. Uh, my wallet appreciates that because otherwise I back the uh, the fees to run the podcast. And given what I pay for the StreamYards membership and the editing software, running multiple podcasts, well, I guess you've already spent the money. What's a few more shows? But still, that's dedication right there. Because most podcasts don't make money. There would no, not that many Joe Rogans out there. Most of us, it's just a labor of love. No, you just, you got, I got this one and Drawing with Nick, which is the most clever name ever. I would like to think so. I mean, you gave yourself a really nice name. It was noble. It was, you know, it pops. I like it. Um, you know, you, you should really commend your mom for picking it for you. Oh, yeah, because she was a big fan of uh, Eight is Enough, and that's what I was named after. Uh, boy, I was named Nicholas after that character. Okay. But you aren't allowed to call him that. Like Good to know. Is that like calling him Francis? Lighten up, Francis. The name's, the name's Chainsaw. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. So next we're going to introduce the movie for the movie. Well, not really a movie. The uh, television series review. 
um, that we're doing. So it is Monsters Legacy, excuse me, Monarch Legacy of Monsters is an American monster television series created by Chris Black and Matt Fraction based on Godzilla by Toho Company Limited. It is the sixth installment and the second television series in the MonsterVerse franchise. Following the events of Godzilla in 2014, the 10-episode series follows members of the Monarch organization as they encounter Godzilla and other monsters called Titans across a half century, which I think is a pretty good summary for it. I stole it from the Wikipedia page. The links will be in the show notes for everything we reference, so you can check it out yourself. When we dive into this uh, TV show, we are going to look at the blurb. Uh, basically the, the movie summary we're going to talk about the show the movie trailer we're going to talk about the characters the plot the world building the cinematography we're going to show you that glorious um movie poster and then we're going to go overall what we thought about it so the summary details it's obviously monarch a legacy of monsters it is directed by chris black and matt fraction um it costs ten dollars a month for apple tv um it's all out season one is all out now so ten dollars one month subscription and you've watched it. Um, each episode's about an hour long. I think they were what, 50 minutes, I think. Yeah. yeah, like 50 to 58 minutes on some of them were 58 minutes, but yeah, it's usually around an hour. Just, just yeah. count for an hour and you're probably going to, you're going to watch the whole damn thing in a day. You're going to find oh. a Saturday. You're going to throw it on there and then you're, you're in. So I started at like nine o'clock. I messaged Nick. I said, how many of these are episodes are we watching? And he goes, well, we watched all of them, but at least the first one. So I started the first one and I'm like, son of a bitch, I'm hooked. And five o'clock in the morning when I finished watching all 10 hours, of this, I went, which is how I found, like I said, how we found Garrett because he started responding. And uh, I, I guess you also do not sleep, sir. Um, I mean, I sleep from time to time when I'm allowed. Uh, and so the first episode released on November 17th, 2023 in the U.S. Uh, I'm not sure because that available data wasn't available about where it, and when it released elsewhere in the world. Uh, the ad cover, and we, we're going to discuss, it says about the world shattering revelation that monsters are real to after, excuse me, the world shattering revelation that monsters are real. Two siblings follow in their father's footsteps to uncover their family's connection to the secretive organization known as Monarch. So uh, we're going to ask everybody, do you think they, uh, the summary that they put out for their show worked? Is it, is it spot on? Uh, yeah, I think they just, they should have added that in. Because it really follows the beginning of Monarch. You know, so good. there's a lot of uh, time splitting, which I didn't, I didn't know when I first got into it. Because um, it, because it said it was like, oh, it's going to take place right around 2015 when the first Godzilla movie came out. I'm like, all right, cool. And it has Kurt Russell in it. So obviously I'm in. And uh, kept going back and forth in time. And I'm like, wait a minute, am I missing something? Wait, You know, so I think they should have added that, that it goes through the history of Monarch while yeah, also showing I, present day. I, I think having something, I you know, indicating that there is some level of uh, generational jumps would be helpful um, because I mean, ultimately that's what it is. It's a generational show where you're seeing that, that time gap. But um, the, I think overall the description is fairly apt because you do have the, the two siblings who are trying to figure out they're not really following their dad's, their dad's like uh, job footsteps so much as like the path that he has been on just to kind of, figure you know 
following the clues of where he last was is more of anything than else. Kate's definitely following a behavioral genetic path. I think they could have just said Godzilla. Because I'm sorry, that's all Nick told me about it. He goes, it's Godzilla. I should like, really write copy for, you know, descriptions of movies. Well, that's all you told me. They had me. that long listing that you read off, JR, and then I'm like, to sell it, I was like, Godzilla. He goes, we're going to watch the show. And I was like, okay, what's it about? And he goes, Godzilla. Like, and then she, she turned into Morty from Rick and Morty real quick. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> so the one thing I liked, I remember watching it and thinking that the Colonel Shaw character, which was played by, um, oh, what was the guy's name? You just told me a second ago. Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. And I'm like, man, they really found a guy that looks like Kurt Russell to play him when he was younger. And then and somebody reads the past and it's, it's his son. And they're like, yeah, that's his son. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, no wonder the family resemblance was true. <laughs> yeah, they did a really good job on that casting. Yeah, that was that would work for me. That was a no-brainer, though. Sometimes I mean, when they show, like, somebody when they, you know, the older and younger version, you're like, um, without CGI, this isn't working for me. Uh, this was not one of those cases, but they didn't have to CGI, it turns out. Well, you know, it'd be like if they wanted to cast a young Luke Skywalker presently, you could get Sebastian Shaw, who looks just like... Um, you mean Sebastian Stan? I mean Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Shaw. I'm, that's X-Men. Sorry. My geekdoms yeah, are getting crossed. <laughs> but yeah, Sebastian Stan, he could totally play a young Luke Skywalker with no CGI whatsoever. I mean... Yeah, he's, he's pretty much a dead ringer yeah all right nick can you show the uh the trailer so we can we can dive in my pleasure sir well, let me go to that tab all right y'all ready here we go the world is on fire monarch was there in san francisco When the whole city was coming down, these guys were taking pictures, like they'd been waiting for it. You think that your father was working for them? This stuff wasn't a safe. Who are they? What's Monarch? This is the world that we live in. Monsters are an inescapable reality. And it's so strong. Those files belong to us, and they are more important than you could possibly imagine. This is going to give me nightmares. Now, you can choke down that monarch lie. What about your father disappearing? Or we can find out what really happened. Before it's too late. Oh my god, go, go, go! This world, it's not ours. Believe me. It is so much more vast than we could possibly imagine. These monsters and monarch taken everything from me. No more. 
is on fire. If you want to save millions of lives, we can use some help. That was a lovely trailer. So did that sell everybody? Would it made you watch it? Oh, absolutely. Me too. Most of the time we do these reviews, I haven't seen the trailers before we watch the show. We tend to watch it after the fact because we just decide what we're going to watch as a group and go for it. But if I had seen that, I definitely want to watch it. And I'm not normally a monster guy. Well, and that's how I got onto the show because I had seen it pop up um, on Apple TV and I watched the trailer probably a dozen different times to kind of like weigh whether I wanted to get invested in another show. Um, yeah, it was probably about the 12th time. I was like, you know what? I'm getting into it. Let's do this. And I talked to Stabby about it and it was, a, it was an easy sell because we had just got finished watching Godzilla, Godzilla King of Monsters, Kong, Skull Island, and then Godzilla versus Kong. Kong. And all I had to say was, it's got Godzilla in it. She's like, you son of a bitch, I'm in. I will say that as as somebody who hasn't seen any of those other movies, you don't need to have seen the rest of the MonsterVerse to follow this series. I mean, you you everyone's tangentially aware of Godzilla, Godzilla versus King Kong. Like that's become such common in the zeitgeist that that you just as a surface level understanding of all that, and you're good. I don't think you have to have watched the other movies. Yeah, and they do a pretty good job explaining about what Monarch is, what, how it began, and what it becomes later on. You know, when you, by the time you get to that Godzilla movie in 2014. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, it works very well as a standalone, uh, standalone series uh, apart from the rest of the films, especially considering the fact that it's only tangentially produced by... Uh, by legendary, like they they've got you know ownership rights uh, for this version of Godzilla and all the monsters therein. Um, but as far as like the the uh, distribution throughout the you know worldwide beyond Toei, but the I mean it works so well because while there are references, it is like it does very well on its own. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And even if it gives a, gives a reference where most pe- people, like under the, the idea that not everybody has seen all those films, which was a smart play on their half, they'll show, I think there was a couple of like um, callback footage from those movies of, you know, what was going on with the references. Those, so, those uh, scenes were from the mo- the other movies? I didn't catch that. Some of them were, yeah. Yeah, some of the stuff that was on the uh, the Golden Gate Bridge that was from the 2014 film. Um, the references to Apex um, and and the the cybernetic biohacking and all that that's references back to Godzilla versus Kong um, and just all these other organizations that pop up throughout the franchise. I mean, it's obviously the beginning opening with John Goodman has um, is is a callback to Kong Skull Island. So it's 
it's all very nuanced and, and done well uh, without retconning anything that's already been established in the canon of of this this franchise. Yeah. So was the character Kate, was she shown in the movie? And then they just pulled that actress and said, let's make a movie. No, no, no. No, the focus on the 2014 film was on like three different characters. Okay. Yeah. My my favorite. Speaking of the the original, uh, the G Day, so the Tokyo in the San Francisco, is when she lands. Kate lands in Tokyo, and she's talking to her Lyft driver, taxi driver, whatever. And he's like, "I have a podcast," and he's talking about how the one in San Francisco was a government conspiracy, uh, and he's got like a conspiracy theory podcast. And I'm like, "Yeah, that tracks human nature." <laughs> yeah, I've talked to a guy that was involved in the moon landing. He spoke at uh, Ravencon and I asked him how soon after that event happened where the conspiracy theory starting He's like, yeah, as soon as I got home, my mother-in-law called and asked how we faked it. <laughs> so, so there's always going to be, you know, those people like that's not real. There's always going to be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I, 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 one of the things I liked very much about how they, how they went about the production of this um, was just the casting that went into it. Um, like Anders Holm. I mean, the, o- the only time I've ever seen him do anything is any, is the stuff from like the, the workaholics. And so, you know, and he did like one guest appearance, I think on, I want to say it was uh, big bang theory, but it was some sitcom, but that's, that's what he's known for is, is, is the sitcom stuff. And having him play a more serious character is really great because I, I abide wholly by the philosophy that you're going to get your best dramatic performances from comedic actors because they're really great on turning on a dime and, uh, and being able to ad lib and improvise a scene so much faster than your dramatic performers. Okay. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. So, um, so let's talk about the characters. Who do you guys see the main characters as? Uh, Garrett, you want to go first? Sure. Um, obviously, Kate and uh, Kentaro are definitely uh, primary characters because it's their dad that they're trying to tra- uh, trace down and find out. But um, Lee Shaw, is he's, he's a predominant character throughout because he's he's kind of the linchpin for the whole thing because he's he's been there to see both sides of everything that monarch has been doing yeah, yeah he's been there since the beginning i i think it's fair to say that there's like two groups because of the time jumps you have two groups of main characters you have um Gieko, you have lee um what was the other guy's name will randa will so those are your three main characters in the 50s, 60s, all the all the past stuff about forming Monarch and the pursuit of the Titans and the pursuit of um, Godzilla. And then you have, you know, Kate and her brother as well. And, hold on, and May, and May um, as like the modern, well, not technically modern day, but the, you know, 2015 or current as it's set in the universe. You know, those are your main characters. And I, I like how they broke it up because a lot of times when you have time jumps or going back and forth through time, um, they tend to focus on one time stream than the other as far as main characters. So I think the show is 
done that amazingly well, split it up. You knew if it said anything in the 1950s or 60s, who your main characters were going to be. And so, you know, and then when it, yeah. I had it as. Well, Kate. there's also. Well, I, oh, go, go ahead, Jair. I say I had Kate, May, and Kentaro together. And then I had Kato, Randa, and Shaw, like the, the past. And then I kind of put Hirohito, the son, because he was sort of bridging the gap. I mean, Colonel Shaw did too, but not as intricately on an individual, like, main character level. So I kind of put him as an other, even though I still think he's a main character. Um, so what about you were saying, Garrett? I was going to say, one of the things that they do well, especially in the cinematography, is the the lending that they do as far as the 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 chromatics because like if you look at the modern day everything's darker it's bleaker um there's kind of a bluish gray tint to everything whereas you look at the scenes from the 1950s and 1960s there's a warmer there's a warmer atmosphere there's a lot more greens and yellows and oranges involved in in the the how everything is filmed um it's very bright like you know it's the idea yeah and and so like you get this 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 juxtaposition of color of this is how bright our future is this is how bleak it's become i didn't catch the color but i'm also colorblind so that went right over my head (laughs) i i caught that early on um and i agree with garrett the juxtaposition actually adds to color being a storytelling element um, because it did, it, it showed the bright future that it wanted to be in the fifties and sixties, as far as the color palettes that they used and how it was filmed. And then you get to these muted, darker colors in 2015 when they show that. So like anything using a visual medium, you try and work every aspect you can, not only, you know, the storytelling, the writing, how it's shot or how it's drawn, but also the color plays a huge role in that. And we see that in the series. And I think it was very well done. I will say most, unless you're trained to specifically analyze movies, most people won't notice that kind of stuff. They'll just watch it and it'll feel a way to them. Um, You don't notice a lot of that until you start looking for it. I got trained in doing comics, which is not much different. You know, it's, it's, it's a paper medium as opposed to film. It's just a different type of, you know, material that you're, you're printing your stuff on. So learning how to still tell stories from a visual medium definitely trains you on how to look for those sorts of things like um, color palettes, you know, and, how, and tones and shades and hints and hues and all that. And how it can be used to differentiate past, future, present you know, and it, it can tell their own individual stories within. This is why it brought me on the show, JR, the artsy fartsy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of bringing people on the show, JT, what do you think of the characters? So I think you're right with the, the breakouts between, you know, the 40s through 60s group, and then you have the modern group. Um, unfortunately, the modern group, I think they were having trouble fi- figuring out where to kind of put May into the story more. So she felt in most of the episodes like a third wheel until the last two where they're bringing in her former employer as a partner. And, you know, they're, they're really trying to, to tie her tighter into the story. I think as far as like the older stuff, um, there's going to be some interesting things with some character revelations there that I think are going to be pretty, pretty interesting coming up. 
So before we let Stabby jump in and share her thoughts, I will say we will try not to do spoilers, but no promises because we're really excited. We all really like this show. So if it happens, oops. Hashtag kaijus. <laughs> all right. Stabby, what do you think of the characters? So I think you're all kind of right. I, you know, we have the younger generation, the, the more current generation. We have the 40s through 60s generation. But I think that Shaw and Hiroshi, the dad of, you know. Um, Was Kate, it Hiroshi or Hiroshi? Hiroshi. Um, oh, <laughs> but I think those two are kind of your gap jumpers. They're connecting the older group and the newer group um shaw because you know he was there at the beginning he was he was you know um with kaiko um at the beginning of monarch and everything and with bill randa um and everything and he was there through all of that but then there's that time jump where you know he went into the other dimension and he came back and he was in the 80s so you have that time jump from when Hiroshi was a little boy and he was leaving him, saying goodbye, leaving his pocket knife with him to being in the 80s where now Hiroshi is, you know, um, in his 20s, 30s, and he's like, it's me, you know, <laughs> Uncle Lee, it's me. <laughs> and then there's the next time jump where Lee is with the younger group at the retirement home. Um, you know, making the great escape. So, and then, you know, the younger group is only in there, is only there because of Hiroshi. So, because they're trying to figure out what happened to dad. So I think it takes Lee and Hiroshi to connect everything because those, those, the three younger ones wouldn't even be on this mission if it weren't for the fact that their dad was gone. They wouldn't even be they wouldn't know nothing about monarch if outside of you know godzilla <laughs> they wouldn't be on this massive going around the world winding up in an ice cave here and the desert there if it weren't for the fact that they were trying to figure out what would, what happened to dad given so I think all, it's both of them given all of the travel they did in this series i shudder to think what their budget must have been and I have to think that's going to affect whether there's a season two or not. There, there is. They confirmed it. They confirmed it. Okay. Yeah, there is going to be a season two. Um, what's interesting, though, is there's a lot of places where you can film where it's going to look like other places. I mean, um, I mean, they especially for the stuff in the South Pacific, while it's supposed to look like parts of Japan or the Philippines or whatever, they were actually just filming in Hawaii. Um, so any of that can be done very easily. The stuff in, in the desert, that's going to be harder to do because you actually have to find a place with decent sand dunes. But if they did film on location, that would like my hat's off to you because it's it's a good use of your resources to do so. Because everything else, I mean, can either be shot on a soundstage or can be shot in a fairly generic location that looks similar to what you're what you're uh, doing. Yeah, for for the desert stuff, I mean, we're we're watching we were watching Resident Evil Extinction, and that's supposed to be in Nevada. And they don't have dunes like that in Nevada that I've ever seen. So, okay. I just haven't seen them. But California, they use a lot of those, like Glamis has huge sand dunes. And then 
an hour and a half away, you can go to Big Bear where they have mountains and snow. So, yeah, um, the location stuff, uh, I think they, they just went to some pretty close places they could use for that filming. I'd, I'd have to look it up. Someone's probably going to, if you're going to be wrong on the internet, someone's going to correct you and give you the uh, Be sure to put it in the comment section and uh, it'll help the algorithm. Right. So win-win. So we've talked about who we thought the main characters were, but let's let's talk about what we thought of them. I would say of the modern characters, the 2015 characters, I liked the the siblings, the, the way their dynamic evolved over time uh, and shifted back and forth in some respects on who was the reluctant sibling and who wanted to find out more. I, I like that. I do felt feel like what JT said may felt stiff in the beginning. Um, Hero, she was definitely a cad. Um, he was very hard to like that character. And I think that's probably intentional. Um, and then um, the, the subtle love triangle with, with Keito was definitely understated to the point where when you found out later who she married, it's like, wait, what? Because that, that kind of came out of nowhere, it felt like. But overall, I, I felt like with the exception of May, all the characters were very likable. I mean, well, obviously not Hiroshi, but you can't have two wives and, you know, hide them from each other. I mean, we're not even talking about, like, consensual polygamy here. Like, we're talking a wife in every port kind of thing. I wonder if season two, the revelation is going to be yet another Randall family. Randall yeah, family. Some, some man, he's acting like a sailor. He's got... He's got a a family in every port he goes to. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens in the second season that you find some third group of siblings, some well, third family. Like, well, let's see. I mean, he's a world traveler. So what if he just has one on every continent? Could and be. holy hell, how much is Monarch paying him that he can support a family in San Francisco at these pay rate, you know, pay stub requirements, and one in Tokyo? I mean, we're not talking cheap places to live. Well, if he's as technical as he as he appeared to be, it's super easy for him to probably sell some patents or something. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. So what did patent money? Yeah, (laughs) what did everyone else think of the uh, of the characters? I mean, I thought the characters were well written. I mean, uh, Jared, I think I was I was talking with you on on uh, on X the other day, and I just I thought that the the casting of both Wyatt and Kurt Russell was super inspired um, just simply because, I mean, who better than to use an older actor's son to play a younger version of him um, playing the same character. They've got the same mannerisms, same vocal tones. And sure, they probably spent some time working out the details of that as actors. But I mean, when you're around someone long enough, your, your cadences and your humor, your, your body language, it all mirrors, uh, you know, who you're supposed to be imitating very easily. Um, I mean, there are times where like, I'll be saying something or doing something. I'll be talking with someone. And all of a sudden I realize, oh my, oh my God, this is something my dad would have done or said. Um, so these, these are natural things that pop up, but uh, beyond that, like the way that they, the way that they filmed and staged their performances was brilliant. Cause like the, like, was anyone else, like, just in awe of the scene where Kurt Russell is in holding and the deputy director comes talking to him while they're playing that film strip on the back of the wall, and he stands up into the same alignment with Wyatt Russell's face, and they're just superimposed on each other. I caught Brilliant that. Brilliant cinematography. I'm like, whoa. That was, that was really awesome. It was well done. Do you think that was on purpose or just accidental? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely on purpose. 
Yeah. Yeah, they're trying to tie them together. So it was, I, I think the characters were well done. Um, oh, oh, buddy. That's my son. <laughs> You're okay. Speaking of Godzilla fans, he's like the ultimate. Like he knows everything. Um, uh, yeah, he just hasn't true. watched the show yet because it's a, above his uh, above his pay grade. Um, but yeah, no, the characters were great. Um, I do think May was, she felt like a third wheel. I think JT was right on that one. Um, yeah. And I feel like the, the, the background stuff, while it works story-wise, especially because it sets up the stuff for Apex in what we know of in Godzilla versus Kong, it there's a part of it that I'm like I wish they had been dropping a little bit more on the hints and like the subtle subtle nods to this way sooner. I mean, the reveal becomes becomes pretty slamming once you see it on screen, but you know, getting a little bit more of that background from her sooner would have been great. So as someone who uh, follows the visual mediums, was anything they were saying when they were meeting with uh, May's family, and we won't reveal the uh, the name, but when we, they were meeting with her family and they're talking about she's a manga fan and they just start throwing out Japanese words, was that as gibberish as it felt like watching it? Because the translator for the uh, subtitles was hit or miss on Apple TV. So sometimes it would translate for me. Sometimes it I don't speak a lick of Japanese, so I just roll with it. I always I mean, go with maybe it'll further the plot. I lived over there for a year, so I'm I'm familiar with some of that stuff. But I I don't watch manga or, or read manga or watch anime that much. So it, they could have given out titles, and I would have been none the wiser. So what I enjoyed about that part was just how naturally it rolled out of Tim's mouth. Like you know, yeah. he's a, an actual fan. Or or yeah. at least he speaks the language. Because if that was gibberish, like it was well done. I mean, by his own admission, he is a basement dweller. True, true. Speaking of, uh, what is your thoughts on the characters, JT, since you're speaking? Then we'll let Nick and Stabby jump in. Yeah, for the most part, they were they were well done. There's uh, a couple that I would have liked to have seen them uh, kind of delve a little bit more into the history on. So, uh, like, um, the uh, Korean guy that they go to meet up with and uh, they get on the plane with that. I wanted, I wanted to know more about that relationship. Um, I also agree with Garrett on the um, kind of foreshadowing of uh, the Apex connection because I'm coming into this not having seen the previous movies. I've, I've just watched the show, and I had no idea what that was when it showed up on the screen. What was it, eight episodes in? Yeah. yeah. So that, that kind of was a curveball that I had no idea what it was or, or what the connection is. I'm sure they're going to develop it more later, but um, it would have been nice to see more of that beforehand. Okay. What about you, Stabby, Nick? What do you guys think of the characters? <laughs> As we try to decide who's going to answer first. Um, I think my favorite part about it is they left it open enough where they can build on the characters. Um, it's not, you know, they're dead set in this one specific way of being. There's room to grow with them. Um, I also think that, you know, they, they gave them all brains. I really like that. Like you don't have just some weak little side piece running around going, Oh my God, what do I do? 
you know, being a Mary Sue, they're all pretty tough. They all have brains. They can all keep up with the conversation. And I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, because I mean, if May was running behind him going, wait for me, I, I think I would have been really upset about that. But yeah, I just like the fact that they they picked great actors, they put them into their their characters very well, and they left them room to grow. Yeah, I will say, as far as the characters go, this doesn't feel like one of those movies where it's like, okay, you can see what boxes they're looking to check from a casting perspective. Everything in there, I mean, it just felt natural for the movie. It worked. So what about you, Nick? Thoughts on the characters? No, I I think everyone's already kind of expressed that the characters, um, they were well casted, who they wanted to play these roles and it did well. Um, I do agree that may felt kind of like a third wheel and that maybe they could have put more for backstory earlier in the series, as opposed to later. Um, just to kind of give that, uh, that anticipation, you know, for everybody that there's some things in there that they put in there for someone who has probably never seen any of the movies to just jump right in but there was a lot of stuff in there for guys or for people like me that love monsters love kaijus you know big fans like pacific rim ultraman mm -hmm. you know the the old godzilla stuff so there there's stuff that's put in for everybody um but i think with may you could have probably done that a little bit earlier and that's fine that was probably an editing choice I don't know why. Maybe, like I said, it'll maybe it'll further the plot in season two. Who knows? Um, there are some think um, relationships, like the uh, the Korean guy that. Duho. What was his name? Duho. Duho. Um, I, I would like to see that relationship, how that began, how that connection was made. Um, but I don't think it's absolutely necessary for you to enjoy it either. So yeah. I, I think probably one of the the I think the can character that I liked most, um, uh, aside from the main ones, was uh, Tim, uh, played by David. I like this guy. Like he, the thing I liked about him is that he was a true believer in what Monarch was meant to be, and like, like I, I feel like he was kind of like the conscience for all the higher ups because you had. Um, you had Verdugo, who was who was trying to just rein everything in. You had uh, uh, Duvall, who we get uh, like the the impact for us on that one is that like if you've seen the films, her sister was played by Juliette Binoche in uh, in the opening of the 2014 film, um, so she's got some personal stakes. But like Tim as a character, he is the conscience for everything he's just trying to he's trying to put the pieces together trying to make sure that things are working the way they're supposed to work and trying to make sure that people don't make mistakes uh, and i think it was kind of cool that he is the character that survives the um the helicopter crash in the desert i'm not going to give away what causes that because you know we said we have a clip we have a clip <laughs> well before we do that um does anybody else i liked tim as the uh secondary character and the french chick that he was with in the beginning yeah, um, yeah, she didn't say much. She was kind of the strong silent type, but she they didn't show her as uh, unbeatable. I mean, it was Kate with no training, former school teacher that caused, you know, the wreck and basically kicked her backside with a surprise left 
kick or whatever. So like, she's not someone who's, you know, Oh, Mary Sue or whatever, like, but she just, she did a good job for the tough guy character. But what about you, JT and Stabby and Nick, what were your favorite secondary characters? Oh uh, man. I think you're right on with that one. Um, introducing a kind of a femme fatale character, I think is always cool. Um, because yeah, the intentions were good. not known in the beginning, you know. I'm gonna like, go oh man! Oh, go ahead, Nick. No, no, no. I'm I'm finished. I'm rambling at this point. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Tim. I really liked him. He's the, uh, like you said, he really believes in the core mission, what they really should be doing, and where you had um, Verdugo, who definitely looked like one of those corporate power hungry, climb the ladder kind of people. And she really came across that way. Like, very well played. What about you, Stabby? Um, I don't remember his name, but I thought he was a lot of fun. And I think he kind of gave a little comedy to the show. But the uh, Japanese doctor that created the oh, 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 the, the former thing. Japanese naval officer during World yeah. War II. He was hilarious. Yes. Oh, was, yeah. oh yeah. You created the gamma gamma dispersal thing. Yeah. He was so much fun. He's like, it's working. It's working. <laughs> he just added that that perfect time comedy that the show needed to to keep it from being just too serious about itself. He gave that little bit of comedy where you're just sitting there like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> another unintentional or maybe not, but another scene that was pretty good for the comedy angle was when Tim tried meets Kate for the first time in the uh in the airport and he starts talking to her and he comes off like he's creepy, I'm gonna kidnap you vibe. And he he starts talking to her when she's at the ATM and he goes, Oh, yeah, this isn't helping my cause at all. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah, there's yeah, some there's of those lines were uh, great. Yeah, there there's some uh self-awareness there that was pretty good. Yeah, it was just so funny. And since everybody is so hyper aware of, you know, talking to people uh, across the genders these days, it, it fit right in with the uh, with the timing, I thought, of when this is supposed to have been said. It was hilarious. So I, I think the one character that we're all kind of, um, I don't know if we're holding off on it or if we're just kind of beating around the bush till we get it, but he definitely is a character and he has shown that is Godzilla himself. Yeah. Yeah. He's he and I have to say that's the desert scene where he straight up looked at, at Kate and was like, I see you. I see you. And I'm gonna let you live and then just kind of moves on. I was like he recognized something in her. I don't know if it's from grandma or my what, take on it. but I was like he's he's definitely coming into his own as being a character and showing that he does have more to him than just destroying the city. Yeah, I like that. Um, so we're going to dive back into that as part of the plot. But first, we're going to play that beautiful commercial. Uh, and we appreciate your, uh, your patronage there, sir. And we're going to hit play. Here comes your next romp in the graveyard. In Hunters for Hire, a new urban fantasy adventure by best-selling author Jonathan Yanez, a guy down on his luck puts sign twirling and rideshare driving on the back burner to track down the supernatural for a pretty penny. Find out what happens when John Hunter enters the secret underworld. Download your copy and start listening today. Now available on Amazon and Audible.
All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. I still have flashback moments with that commercial. I'm not going to lie. When uh, when Jonathan had his uh, narrator send that to us for the podcast, I was playing it while I was driving. So my mom and I were just sampling it together. And she goes, ooh, is he single? I'm like, mom, you're married. And I just, I've never been able to listen to that commercial the same way again. <laughs> Still get the X. Not going to lie. The ladies love the voice though. So I guess that's something. I love mom so much. <laughs> All right. So, so we, funny. we've talked about the, the characters. Let's dive into the plot. I will say, you know, we've, we've not beat around the bush, but I was hooked from the first episode. I think everyone I've talked to said that first episode was free. It was like that crack. The first hits free and then boom, we're off to the races. Yeah, I, mean, I signed up for an Apple subscription to watch the other nine episodes. I That's exactly I what signed, I did. Yeah, I signed up because with Apple because I had a free three month trial with the purchase of a new iPad, and uh, so I got hooked on on Ted Lasso. And then I realized that Monarch was coming out, and I'm like, I've got to watch this. It looks too good. Yeah. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised because I didn't like. It's one of those things where it's like when you try to serialize it or you or you put too much into the market, you you I my thought was they're gonna oversaturate because we're just a couple of years out from uh Godzilla versus Kong. We've got the new Godzilla Kong movie coming out in just a month and a half. You know, how are, is this gonna saturate the market? And I don't think it does. And I think the plot is very good because it's it provides a nice entry point for people who are who aren't even casual fans of Godzilla and anything related to that that media. Okay, what about the rest of you guys? I thought like they they did a good job of hooking you. I think the plot and the pacing and all of that was very well. Like it it by going back and forth across the time, you were able to get rid of the dull points and just jump to the high points, which I like. Um, so the story arc was pretty action packed and it was, it definitely was easy to follow. I don't really feel like it lagged anywhere, but uh, does anybody else have, have anything? Yeah, I think they did it right. Um, nothing felt drawn out or extended artificially uh, for the story. I think they had enough uh, of the uh, subplots and twists and whatnot that you're continually wanting to watch the next episode just to find out. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Nick, Stabby, did you guys did you guys uh, have anything to add to the plot overall? Sorry, I'm battling my computer right now. <laughs> um, I think that it did a really good job um, kind of keeping you in the moment. Because even when you, for a, even for split seconds, when you feel like... Um, like it's slowing down like it's getting a little slow then it's leading up to something um i think the perfect example is when um all of the higher up butter bar soldiers are all sitting on the beach just waiting to you know blow godzilla to kingdom come um it really um like you're just sitting there like well are they gonna do it are they not gonna do it like is he gonna show up and then all heck breaks loose so i definitely think that they they kept a good pace through the whole series there's not a single episode where i can't i can think like mm, we could have done without that episode um they all kind of 
lead to something. Yeah, as far as the uh, the scene where they're watching the uh, explosion, that's not that far removed from how the military brass treated the first testings of the various um, bombing. Um, so I, I don't think that's very far off. Um, and uh, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't very far off. So I, I bought that. Uh, what about you, Nick? <laughs> no, um, there there really wasn't. Uh, a filler episode in that whole that whole 10, 10 episode arc um, and what you're saying about like the old military testing yeah because they just sat on the beach and they put on their earth wind and fire goggles <laughs> you know thinking that was going to protect them and it I it's you're if you know anything about history and how that how those tests were done and the aftermath years later the like the nuclear effects you know, you could almost like, man, that could be a spinoff too, but that would just be depressing. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, even years later, that's there. They believe that's how John Wayne got his cancer because the sand they used in the movie lot came from one of the testing sites. Now, I don't know if that's, that's urban legend or not, but I, I don't know. I'd have to do more research on it. But, but I mean, that, looking into yeah, the, the 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 radiation was no joke. And then they're playing in radiation because the the monsters all operated in that radioactive space too. Um, some of them absorbing it, some of them causing it, because that's originally what when you meet uh, Kieko, I'm probably butchering all the Japanese names. So if you're from Japan and listening, we're we're sorry. Um, you can mispronounce my name if you want to, if it makes you feel better. Uh, but yeah, they're they've got the Geiger counter and they're going around looking for for the signals. Yeah, they're they're using that as a as a uh, like a tracking module, you know, to see if those Titans were there. Um, I think the plot was really awesome. Um, it definitely hooks you in from the first episode. I think everybody here can agree that. Um, and then it got, it gets into the lore, you know, that stuff that we, you had questions when you watched the movies, this, this fills the gap perfectly. It's like, Oh, well, how did Monarch get started? Was it originally a government organization? Like, you know, what about apex? So you had all these questions from the movies and this thing just answers them perfectly. So if you weren't getting hit with action or, cameos from some of your favorite kaijus you were getting hit with information that was also filling the gap in between the movies so i, I think i think it's well done i can't wait for season two okay well let's, uh jt did you have anything to add yeah just uh, the way that they used the nuclear testing at uh, bikini atoll as a way of tying into the whole godzilla story here i think was great it just really tied things together to uh for the storyline i thought it was well done Okay. All right. So next we're going to talk about the world building, which is basically like we said in the beginning, it's how well fleshed out the world is. Did we buy it? Could we envision ourselves there? Um, so world building would include some of the um, set props in this case. And I have to say they clearly did not have a military advisor. Um, some of that stuff was just, eh. but it wasn't so bad that it drew me out of the movie. Once I'm like, okay, JR, turn your brain off and just enjoy the monsters. I was able to go with it. So, yeah, when you tell yourself not to be that vet, where he's just like tearing down the uniform, like, oh my god, that's that metal was even made yet. Like, well, he's wearing a CIB, and I'm just thinking, well, he looks clearly too 
youngs who have been in World War II. He's chasing monsters for Korea. He, you know, they have him wearing the CIB before we put forces in Vietnam. So when you know the history of that era and the wars we fought, like how the hell did he earn a CIB? Where was he fighting? Who did he fight with? What official campaign was he participating in? And then they've got his ribbons switching around. So at one point in time, he's wearing three ribbons. One of them is clearly the Army Achievement Medal, or, uh, a ribbon, excuse me, which they give you for completing basic training. It's the yeah, a very coming ribbon. Yep. Thanks for coming. You know, you finished boot camp, didn't get kicked out. Here you go. Take a ribbon. Um, and you watch that and it's like one of the lower ranking ribbons, but then sometimes they just put it on backwards. So now it's the top ribbon and it's just like, come on people. I even paused and I'm like going through the list of known campaign medals from world war two in Korea, trying to figure out how in the hell this guy earned a CIB. And then I'm like, you know what, JR, just stop, hit play, watch the rest of the damn movie. You, you went I deeper than I would have. I was like, Oh, I got a CIB. It's probably from his encounters with Godzilla. Yeah, I, mean, I would definitely call it, I would call it, count that as a combat action. Okay, fair, but then do they give him a campaign ribbon for that? And if it's so classified he can't get a campaign ribbon, how is he able to wear the CIB for it? Because then that award would also thus be um, classified. I don't know. Maybe because it's GLG 20 classified. So, like, even asking questions, you're going to get, like, jammed up about it. <laughs> you know? See, I went a little too deep on this stuff, but you know, I can't help myself. I, I understand that, like, as a military guy, you know, and I've I've done this to military movies, and I, I have to apologize if I watch it in front of, like, mixed company. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just – that shit didn't exist yet. Like, don't – I love Black Hawk Down. It's one of my favorite military movies. But the CCO that was on the M21 didn't exist in 1993, you know, when, when the whole thing happened. So, like, people like, shut up, Nick. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Um, so I've gotten better at not doing that. Um, I just take it for what they're showing me. All right. So this cat is, he started off with an EIB, like most infantry dudes do. You got a CIB somewhere. It happens. Maybe he has a friend in S1. <laughs> and then, you know, and then he shows up with a Ranger tab. And I'm like, okay, well, historically, most infantry officers around Korea went to Ranger school. And then in Vietnam, they went through ranger school for real in Vietnam. So there's a lot of things that like I was I was making excuses for it. And I didn't even notice the ranger tab, but it makes sense that you would. Yeah, it just showed up like, oh, man, he's got a, he's got a little 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 yellow and black crescent, oh, crescent going I, on there. I figured it out when he was doing the war stuff to get a CIB and go to ranger school to get the tab. That's when Bill made his move on Kieko. There That's it is. how it happened. There we go. We solved the mystery. Yeah. And and at that time, there was desert phase. There was four phases of ranger school. So it makes – he had four months away for, for Bill to make his move. Good job, Bill. You seized the initiative, sir. We are proud of you. Attaboy. You get an honorary ranger tap for that one. <laughs> so, yeah. So what about you, uh, Garrett? What did you think of the world building? Um, for, Just from a storytelling perspective, I thought it was really brilliant. Like um, the fact that – I mean, the, especially the modern day stuff where in this post G-Day world, um, you have a you have a super militarized version of Tokyo, Japan that we see in a lot of anime, you know, especially in, in the aftermath of something like this. But like when they're when they're pulling out of the airport and they're going into Tokyo proper um, and and Kate sees the the missile launchers 
uh, that just, I'm like, wow, especially considering the fact that Japan is not supposed to have any kind of formalized military at this point, other than the J uh, Japan Defense Force. Uh, and uh, and so the, the fact that they've got these, these surface-to-air missiles, uh, I, I'm assuming they're surface-to-air missiles because, you know, what, what else would you be firing at something that's, you know, 300 meters tall? Yeah. But I, I thought that was like I see that scene. I'm like, wow, okay, that that takes you into the realism of this of this post Godzilla appearance uh, world, and especially concerning the fact that the opening of that film does take place in Janjira, Japan, um, outside of Tokyo. It, it would make sense that they would really want to militarize and protect any local assets, especially concerning the fact that the Mudos from that. 2014 film were um, at least one of them was feeding off of a, a, the reactor core of a nuclear power plant. But the, uh, the rest of it I thought was, was pretty cool. The, like the inclusion of different, uh, different monsters. Um, the, the star nose mole one was by far one of the most terrifying just because it, it tracked, you know, heat signatures of various kinds various, I mean, even the most minute from like human body heat, which is, which is nothing. It, it lit up like a, like a road flare for, for that thing out in the Arctic and just blew my mind that it's, it's that like Godzilla feeds off of nuclear radiation. The Mudos are feeding off of nuclear radiation. We're not entirely sure what kind of radiation Kong feeds off of, if any, but this thing feeds off of thermal radiation. And I'm like, that is a cool little twist on that. And so yeah, they added to the lore as far it as it did. It really did. Concerned. Yeah. Because in the movies, everybody's fed off either interdimensional radiation or nuclear radiation. Right. You know, and then the series brings in that other element that we never even thought of thermal radiation, which is a type of radiation. Well, it's, it's not that's unheard science. Of. It's, it's not that it's terribly unheard of, because if you go back and you look at um, 2019's King of the Monsters, Rodan is hanging out inside of a volcano feeding right. off of the geothermal radiation. So it's really there. It. They don't focus on it, no. But, I mean, it had to be feeding off of something to stay alive for that right. long in that in that domain. No, you're absolutely right. Um, and I think that's what I like about the series, that it bridges the gaps between these films of – all the questions that you kind of have when you're, when you're watching them, you know, without giving anything away, but most so, of these movies have been out for quite a time. So. So one of the things that it did well is it covers like anything that some of the historic monster lore got wrong. Well, they just didn't know the science back then. So of course they got it wrong and they just sort of not really hand wave it. Cause I mean, that's legitimate. If it was, you know, supposedly set in the fifties, well, the fifties understanding of science is not what it is today. And so right. they can kind of explain away by bringing the, the past and the present together in one story, how that evolved. And you see that with the uh, Monarch organization, how they, they understood things. And, you know, the first time Bill Randa says uh, they're teleporting, like you're laughing at him. It's like, oh, yeah. it's, it's bad sci-fi. But then later, as they're learning, you know, you see more. And to, uh, to clear up when Garrett said earlier, he said MUDO, that's an acronym that stands for Massive Unidentified Terrestrial Organism. So if you haven't watched the show, that's that's the term they come up come up with for that. And the character in the show, Bill Randa, is the one that um, 
that coined it because he was a cryptozoologist. So he chases animals that we don't think exist yet as his profession. Um, so what about you, um, JT, or uh, what did you think of the world building? The world building was really well done. Um, what I like is that they have all of the material from the movies to pull from, so they're not just limiting themselves to a specific creature. They have so many to choose from that there's just a wide variety that they can throw in there and they can throw additional plot lines and whatnot uh, because of these different creatures, just like the ice ones not been seen before. And they address that in the show. And it became a pretty serious focal point later on, which is actually a really nice touch. Um, what about you, Stabby? Honestly, I think they did a great job when it comes to the world world building and not just um, with the monsters or the cast, but the world in general. Like when they're in the desert, you know that they're they're hot. Like, you can see the sweat dripping, you see the sweat uh, rings on their clothes when they're in the snow. Um, you you feel cold, you feel for them. You're, you're watching the icicles build up on, on their facial hair, on their eyelashes and everything. And even when you see um, older Bill Randa, which at the you see him at the beginning, um, and he's on Kong Island, and he um, has the big you know, tropical spider coming after him. Um, you see the trees, you see the, 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 the foliage, fo foliage, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the foliage of, of, you know, that island. So everywhere they go, you feel like you're, you're genuinely there. They make sure that when they're shooting San Francisco, you're seeing some of the major San Francisco areas, um, even though, you know, they're kind of destroyed. Um, you know that you're there. So when it comes down to it, you're like, okay, a lot of this makes sense. Um, and and you feel for the characters. It gives you that, that empathy for the characters because I know me, I hate being cold. So that whole entire episode where they're just freezing their butts off, I'm over here like pulling another blanket up. Blanket <laughs> Sympathy up. blanket. <laughs> yeah, like I'm trying to warm up for them. But um, I was also raised in Las Vegas, so when they're out in the out in the dunes, I'm like, oh my god, I know you guys are sweating. I know. I the know. only one of the other net net nitpicks I had with the with the world building was the scene or the episode where they're chasing the dragon, which you see the USS Lawton uh, in the jungle. I thought that was really cool. The the reveal that Bill served on it and he was the only survivor of a shipwreck. And you know what's involved. Like if you've studied the the Indianapolis when it went down, and you hear the horror stories of the Asiatic uh, shipwrecks and what those people survived with the sharks and the other uh, just normal fish, not even talking about titans. Um, like man, that guy was a tough son of a son of a somebody back in his youth, right? So I thought that was a cool addition to the character because now he's not just an egghead. And you see that with uh, Leland calling him Swabby all the time. Like all right, Swabby. Um, which was also playing on the army Navy rivalry, which I liked, but the, the nitpick is when they go in and explore and he goes to where his bunk is and everything is rusted and covered with all the grime and whatever, but somehow his footlocker is clean. Everything in it's dry. His hat for the white socks is perfectly white. I'm like, no, I live near the water. I know exactly what stuff that comes out of the drink looks like. And it doesn't look like that. I think the thing that kind of, um, I really enjoyed about seeing Bill Red at, at the beginning 
you know, throwing his his information out into the water, just just begging the universe to let somebody find it was like they never really explicitly said in Kong Skull, Skull Island that he died. You just have the assumption that he died. You don't actually know that he died. Um, and so seeing him at the beginning, I was like, no what? And you'll recognize the actor. Like, I recognize him even though I couldn't place it. And uh, Stabby is the one that searches all that. And she's like, yeah, that's the guy that was the husband in Roseanne. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, John Goodman. Yeah. King Ralph. So. It was just too much. King Ralph the deep cut. <laughs> it, was, it was too much fun. And you guys know me. I'm a completionist. Like, if I start a series, I need to finish it, and then I need to watch all the movies that go with it. Well, I've already loved all the movies. I have a thing for kaiju as it is, and that's how I see Godzilla and King Kong and all of the monarch um, creatures, is I see them as kaiju. And seeing John Goodman at the beginning of that first episode, and, and you can see the emotion in him, the prayers, like, please, God, somebody find my information, somebody get this. As he, you know, just tosses it out there, you're just kind of like, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> yeah. So now we're going to talk about the cinematography. And as before we actually talk about it, just to give you some examples, Nick, you've got some of the scenes, the little segments. And every scene yeah. we use, we'll link in the show notes, but we're also linking to where you can watch the movie live. Just because we don't want you to think we're copywriting any uh, infringing anything, one fair use, and two, we're encouraging you to watch the whole damn thing. It's ten hours of glorious goodness. Oh yeah, yeah. All right, Nick, can you show us the the ones you keyed up? One second, good sir. Uh, <laughs> I love that scene. I, I love the juxtaposition between those two characters and how they react to seeing Godzilla I, alive. Yeah, she's like giddy about it, and he's like, "Holy crap!" If our yeah, she was like super here. stoked, and like he he looked so much like his dad. Yeah, in that well, scene. And the thing I liked about it is that because if you go back to the scene where they do try to nuke Godzilla, um, you know he's he's holding her off, trying to prevent her from stopping the countdown or stopping the triggering of that nuclear test. And she is like, she is just overrun with grief at the fact that they tried to kill something so majestic as Godzilla. And cause she yeah. sees the value in him, in Godzilla as just another creature on this planet. And, uh, you know, and Shaw's just like, look, we had a job to do, you know, he's, he's being the dutiful soldier. Now, like she, you know, her response is, is like, yes, He's not dead. Yeah. Thank God. My prayers have been answered. And Lee's like, oh, darn it. And if you well, think about she, it, she's been carrying some guilt since oh, yeah. you know they tried to nuke Godzilla. And so like, no, the relief it, it, is genuine. The, impl 
if you understand the history, the implication is more so because think about it. She's old enough. She would have lived in Japan during World War II when uh, Nagasami, um, Nagasaki, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Nagasaki, there we go. Brain damage moment. But when they when they dropped the two A bombs on Japan, yeah. you know, even if they weren't in the cities where it happened, it affected the whole country. And I imagine oh, yeah. that changes her willingness to see bombs like that used again and too, just to, you know, needlessly kill anything. You know, outside yeah. of the 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 takes on the war, because I don't think they, they kind of avoid that uh, the morality of the war, and they just talk about the after effect. And you see that killed in one of the it, bombings. No, they yeah. just said her husband died, uh, and she was a widow. The implication was he died in the imperial military because yeah. the they used that against her later. Yeah. Uh, like she was a suspicious character, but they don't explicitly say how he died; just that he died. I think when it comes to their reactions to him still being alive, hers is thank God. Thank God he's still alive. Thank God we didn't kill him. But I think his was more... Oh, shit. I think we pissed him off. Yeah. Because if that didn't kill him, he's going to be mad. And what, what could potentially you know, stop him from decimating just about any major city on the planet. Yeah, because we just dropped our best weapon on him and he shook it off. So did you, uh, do you have thoughts on this, JT? It, well, the one thing that I like is the way that they uh, make her distinct from other scientists in the trope, where they're actually stepping her outside of that logical, analytical technical mindset and showing that she actually has compassion for this creature. Yeah. And well, and Keiko's also, she's also more emotionally driven, you know, kind of spitballing off of what JT was just saying is that most, most scientists get into that analytical mode. That's all they're thinking about. They're not thinking about the emotional impact of something that's going to happen. I mean, switching, switching franchises, but you look at the original uh, Jurassic Park and all the scientists that are talking and giving their opinion about the park, you've got a mathematician, you've got two paleontologists, and, and the only one who sees the value that this could possibly be a good thing is the lawyer, in the at least in the film. Uh, whereas, you know, whereas the, the emotions are there for, like, say, a character like Ian Malcolm, but you look at how uh, Sattler and Grant approach their argument, it's all logic based. It's all evidence based that, you know, there's no emotionality to it. Um, and for Keiko as a character in this universe, this monster verse, if you will, uh, she is very, very much in line with both sides. Like she can think on her feet. She can, uh, she's very logical, very analytical, but at the same time, she understands the value and the balance of of that of the emotionality of something happening. And maybe that's uh, it, it's it's good writing for a character, but it it also plays on the idea that this is a woman who is not from the Western world. She is from Japan, where uh, where culturally they try to find as much balance in every aspect of their life as they possibly can, which is, which is interesting considering the fact that you have hero who is a, 
you know, who walks that fine line of dichotomy between the Western world and his Japanese heritage. And he's, which is why he's got a foot in both worlds with a family in San Francisco, a family over in, in Japan. And then, you know, you, you, I mean, just the, the way that it's presented on film is, is really well done. No, they pulled it off perfectly because I definitely, I watched it a little bit different than even Nick did. Um, My son is actually part Japanese and knowing his grandmother who is much more Japanese than, and, than, you know, uh, my son is and being around her so much and seeing how she was versus how I was and the things that she was teaching me. Um, it definitely, they, they portrayed it very well in this show because something as simple as, uh, I was not okay with a brown recluse being in my house. And my intention was to kill it because it is a brown recluse inside my house. This is the web. <laughs> and it needs to die. Um, she was like, no, hold on. And she go, she went and got a jar, caught the freaking spider, took it out to the desert and released it. Mm-mm. And I was, I was not okay. Talks- Anyone who's had cellulitis once from a brown recluse bite, nope, you kill it. You kill it. You burn the house down. With fire if necessary. Just in case the babies are in the house. I don't kill spiders in the house. I I capture and re-release them somewhere else. But um, watching this show and watching her reaction to them nuking Godzilla, to her realizing that... um, that he was still alive and everything it just it reminded me so much of my ex-mother-in-law that that's how she really was and i was like they they really did a good job at at nailing her reactions to things yeah i really enjoyed that the first reaction gave you the idea that she understands that godzilla is more than a specimen and that the second reaction reinforces that so I know we, uh, you've got uh, school duties with your with your young kid Garrett, and you're going to have to bounce in just a second. So can you tell? Because we're we're going to probably go a few more minutes after that. But can you tell listeners and viewers, and they'll be in the show notes, people, where they can find you and what you're working on right now? Yeah. Um, so you can find me on uh, Instagram and X at gkj underscore publishing, um, where I talk about my books. I try to promote them as much as I possibly can. I'm terrible with marketing, um, like a lot of authors. But I also do my show on YouTube. Uh, go on YouTube, search for GKJ Publishing. Uh, I'm the only one with that that handle, and you'll see my show the right way. I'm I'm in the middle of season six. Uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to put out the February episode and live stream in the next couple of weeks, um, and so been doing really well with that. And then, um, yeah, and so. Uh, as far as War of the Stars, which is my Star Wars podcast, just go on to geeknewsnow.net uh, and look for their podcast listings and you'll find it. Or you can find us on Podbean. Um, so it's geeknewsnow.podbean.com. Um, and like JR said, all of my all of my information is going to be down in the description. Um, and um, I do have a website as well, uh, archivesofthefivekingdoms.com. It works as both a, kind of a, an understanding of what I'm doing with my work, uh, what I'm working on currently. And then, um, 
acts as a companion site for the book. So that if you want to look up maps, character profiles, location descriptions, uh, you know, uh, any of the 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 um, special words and glossaries that are for each of the books, they're all there available for free. Outstanding. All right. Well, now we're going to show the next scene, and then if you have to bounce, we understand. But it gives it gets that out of the way. Um, but we're glad you did come because it was fun. Yeah, it's been a blast. All right, Nick. That was very uh, a very moving scene. I liked it. Of that scene, um, he is absolutely a character. You can see it the way his eye dilates when he looks at her. He's like, "You are not my enemy, but those people in that helicopter might be." I know he didn't even go after the people in the helicopter. They bumped into him when he stood up, <laughs> and their their rotors hit his spikes on his back. That fool was out to find a new napping spot because that's what he was doing. Yep, I agree. You know, and uh, the helicopter was an incidental. Godzilla in an environment outside of the ocean or in a cityscape where he's yeah. destroying shit. Yeah, I was going to say also outside of a city. Yeah, I, I thought that was really cool. It adds to the lore. It, I got goosebumps watching it. You know, I was like, Godzilla in the desert? What? Yeah. Imagine you might have goosebumps when a mountain stands up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I stand by what I said earlier. He is absolutely a character. Um, there's, you know, we all know me. I'm the queen of horror. I watch all of the different types of horror from psychological to monsters. And a lot of times a monster is just a monster. It's just uh, an enemy in the way. It's, it's, that immovable thing that needs to be moved but he he looked straight at her and his eye dilated and he he was just it was and then he huffed because when he huffed his like the sand came out of his nostrils and it, you just see it he's he is absolutely a character there's absolutely a soul in there you can see it he he is a character yeah um, I, I kind of agree with it. It was kind of majestic to see him standing up and then the desert sort of falling away. Dude so. was just looking for a nap. <laughs> like I was kind of surprised when they slid to a stop and all of the, the rocks that were behind them also stopped so that they didn't get, you know, crushed by them. It was just kind of odd. What? Um, I think it just kind of adds to the lore they're trying to build that 
Godzilla is not a mindless monster. He's just not out to wreak havoc and, you know, cause damage. That he's an enduring character. He's some it's something that you can kind of relate to. You know, he's they're they're poising him to be the protector of humanity. You know, it's like we're his pets, (laughs) you know. And I'd do anything for my dog, so I get it. He was sunbathing like Domino. Yeah. So (laughs) yeah, I got a Boston Terrier that likes to bathe out in the rocks in our front yard. You know, I get it. Like Godzilla, I, I agree with you, man. Sometimes it just feels good to lay out on the sand and just get your heat on and take a nap. <laughs> Although I will say I was pretty impressed by the Yamaha, like just stand it up and drive it off after rolling down a mountain. Impressive craftsmanship on that vehicle, yes. <laughs> so fun fact. Um, vehicles that roll down sand dunes don't get as messed up as you think they would. Because going to the dunes is a big thing when you're raised in Vegas. It You get out of the city, you go play in the dunes. I was in a few uh, dune buggies as a youth uh, in Southern California and Glamis going up there. And from, <laughs> yeah, they sand is a lot more forgiving than hard rock. Yes. Okay. All right. We had what two more of the um, before we start the wrap up. We had what two more of the scenes to show. Uh, well, I got one more. Okay, that's the only one I got queued up. Hold on. Give me just one of your patient seconds, and I'll bring this up because there we go. And this clip, we'll just kind of segue into it. Uh, give it a little. I think you're here for me. Yeah, it shows the beginning of the relationship between um, Kieko and uh, Shaw. So let's uh, get into it. Wish I could say I was, but I'm here on army business. That shows the cultural. Maybe we can get a drink on my way out, huh? Like guys of the fifties. Wait a minute. They told me they were sending a military escort, and you're the only one here in uniform. Um. I'm, I'm supposed to meet a Dr. Mura. I'm Keiko Mura. You're... Keiko, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So you must be his daughter? Yeah, I'm sorry, I think there's a little miscommunication happening here. Um, let's start over. Yes, why don't we? Okay. You are. I am Lieutenant Leland Lafayette Shaw III, but you can call me Lee. I'm Keiko Mura, and you may call me Dr. Mura. I think you- <laughs> yeah, I, I think... I love that scene so much because he he knows he's putting his foot in his mouth and he's like, oh, I think there's a miscommunication here. Let's start over. And it wasn't even so much that he assumed that a woman couldn't be a doctor, but you just think scientists, you think old dude, right? Like there's just, if it had been a young man, I bet his reaction would have been the same. Well, you, you got to think about the era of the time that it's set. You know, it's in the fifties. Cause I think that was 52, 53. Maybe maybe later fifties, but uh, even today I think older. When I think scientist, I wouldn't see a nineteen-year-old somebody and assume doctor. And she's not nineteen, but you, you get what I'm saying. Like she looked young. Yeah, to, to be to be a doctor, and in that time, it, let's say it was even the later fifties. It was very unheard of for a female to be a doctor, um, according to the West. I, I don't I don't know much about. Japanese history, but I would assume even there, um, a very uh, 
um, patriarchal type society. Eh, where, they lost so many men in the war. I wonder if they, they had to loosen it up, even if just temporarily, to fill the vacancies. And I, and I think you're right, because there was a lot going on in the United States at the same time, the same way, where we had, you know, Rosie the Riveter went to River, home. You yeah. know, and you had, you had females having to, uh, well, you got the, the All American uh, Female Baseball League you know, during the same time. So there was a lot of women that were stepping up to do men's roles or eventually men's roles at the time. Don't say that. In the war. 1950. Right. But a lot of those were the physical labor, like the manual labor type stuff. Right. When you get to the intellectual sciences and whatnot, um, it was still not that common to have right. a woman take that up in, during that time period. There were a few for sure. I mean, we had one that uh, wrote a bunch of the code for uh, the space shuttle or the lander module. I forget which one for our trip to the moon. What was that movie called? Which um, hidden figures. Hidden figures, yeah. Yes. There's, yes. And and that crossed a lot of barriers. A lot of barriers that mm -hmm. weren't common at the time. First, you had um, African American and female. And NASA. What a one of the hidden groundbreaking mathematics. What are the hidden? Wasn't that in the sixties though? Yeah, it was in the sixties. Yeah, so it's a little bit later. You got to think though, like we didn't start equality until the late seventies or the eighties, right? You know, amongst the seventies. I mean, they still do it to us now. Um, like when me and Nick go out, you know, if we separate for some reason. Chicks like to tell him how beautiful his eyes are. And you would think in a heartbeat that it would be, you know, his shirt well, show off his muscles, but he'll immediately go, my wife is crazy. No, I say so she in, in their defense, he does, have some, he does have some dream-worthy eyes. No, he really does. And I completely understand it, but he never takes the, like, he's, he's, the calm one within those situations, and he's like, "My wife's crazy. She'll stab you." Hold on, hold on, Nick. And he, he he does he does this. Stab me. <laughs> hold on, Nick. Stare into the camera. Let us see. <laughs> we need some screen caps. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna end up a meme again. Oh, then, all right. So and, in, and, and it's still the same. What I was saying, though, is it's still the same. Like even now in 2024, you know, it, there's still that stigmatism that the man's going to be the strong type. The man is going to be, uh, you, you know, that person. But he'll he'll do it even like at work. He's like, my my wife is crazy. He told the nurses when he was in the hospital after a stroke. He's like, you obviously haven't met my wife yet. So, yeah, so like I said, we, I think we've covered that. The cool thing is the with the Hidden Figures one, one of the females in that movie that that's based on real life is actually from Hampton, Virginia. So they had an exhibit to her when that uh, when they did the anniversary of that at the Hampton Air and Space Museum. And I got to take my kids to see that. Um, and they sell merch from the movie because she was local to that area, which is kind of cool. And there's a, there's a British fish and chips place that's uh, that's right near that museum. So... I was able to try try biscuits, uh, cookies biscuits. Uh, for us for cookies. us normal people. 
Uh, and they're weird no. Warm beer. No, beer should be cold. I'm sorry. Fight me. I'll die on that hill. The All right. The yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So was there anything else about the cinematography uh, other than what we've already said? I think we kind of covered it a lot with this already. One thing that I'll say is I appreciate the action scenes where things are breaking apart and shaking around and falling around, where the camera doesn't feel like it's mounted to a four-wheeler with the suspension of a two-by-four. Yeah. It, it kept everything nice and, and easily uh, viewable without trying to make you sick. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like the – I don't like it when movies go full Blair Witch Project because it just makes me dizzy, and then I'm like, I can't watch this. I think one of, the, one of the best shot scenes, and I pouted when, you know, we, we saw it earlier, so it's not a spoiler. We already, we already have video of it. But I think one of the best shot scenes was when uh, um, Shaw's uh, pilot friend, Duon – do un, I, Duho? I'm Duho. Probably Duho. Um, when he gets frozen, and it 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 captures the monsters sucking the heat out of the air so perfectly because it starts at the back end of the plane and you watch it creep forward up his body and then out of his face. Like it did it so perfectly. And you know so why that works so well? because the actor's ability to show that, oh crap, I see what's happening, oh shit, right at the last moment, and then it was over for him. Like that, oh shit, expression on his face. Because he was, for most of the show, like most of the episode he was in, he was pretty, like he didn't show a lot of expression. He kind mm -hmm. of that that traditional stoicism that, you know, men of a certain era were, were taught is the, the face you present to society. So to see that change where suddenly it's like, oh shit, and they did it also when you see Shaw flying and he's like, uh, just buckle in because this is the crazy guy when yeah. it comes to the piloting. But for me, the best on the cinematography was when they showed them leaving the USS Lawton when it's rolling over and crashing on them. And they're just running from the ship and you sort of pan out and you show that scene. That was one of the best shot scenes, I think, in the whole 10 episodes. There's just so many good ones. And the one thing I will say about uh, the cinematography is as much as you want to pay attention to the characters, you want to pay attention to what's right in front of your face. If you watch the background, just even just a little bit, there are just little things that they add in there. They paid such good attention to detail that even in the background, as, as you know, a perfect example of that is when they're at the dance scene in 1955 where um, Leland is a captain now. This is where he's suddenly wearing the EIB that we, or excuse me, CIB that we talked about earlier. He's dancing with Keiko. Most of these guys are senior officers who would have fought in World War II. A lot of naval officers, they would have fought in the Asiatic. And the, they have the wives and, the, and even the officers like sniffing at him as he's dancing with this Japanese woman. And the facial expressions in the background that that I almost didn't miss. I mean, you almost don't catch, but then when you catch it, like that is such a fine touch that you wouldn't think about to show that subtle disdain for this American officer dancing with the former enemy. Yep. That, that I thought was a nice touch. I mean, even watching the other episodes, you see that they're paying attention to the little things like the cab drivers in Japan with the gloves. I mean, that, that's something not a lot of people real. know about. Is that real? Yes. Yeah. They're absolutely very proud of how clean their cabs are. And that's why the gloves are white. Okay. I, I just, 
when I heard the cab driver and he was like, I've got a podcast in the San Francisco, <laughs> I, I laughed there because, you know, I'm like, Siri, so do I. And he starts talking about his conspiracy theories and I'm like, oh, okay. We're not all Joe Rogan, you know. Even in some of the San Francisco scenes, like if you've ever visited, just visited San Francisco, not even just lived there, but visited, as they're wandering through the quarantine zone, you're noticing little things like um, they pass like a, a little Chinese restaurant and you see the hooks in the window. And if you go through San Francisco, they hang peeking ducks from the window on those hooks. So. Cool. And chickens. So as they're like wandering through the quarantine zone, you see that, and it's a split second, but you see the little hooks hanging, and you know there used to be ducks or chickens hanging from the window there. It's just little things to make you understand that you are in San Francisco. Yeah, I like it. So the attention to detail was definitely something they had going. It was definitely there. Yes. Now I'm going to show this movie poster so we can we can say what we think. Uh, let me share that screen. All right, and live. So this is the movie poster, and obviously you see uh, the Russells, uh, Kurt and, and Wyatt, make the, the cut. Um, and you've got Godzilla in the background and then all of the characters. And I think it definitely encapsulates the feel of the show. I think you couldn't ask for better. I mean, at this point, they're not so much movie posters as they are you know, screen grabs to, to put on ads because nobody prints posters anymore, I don't think. But it's still, you know, as far as it goes, I think it does a good job of – showing you what you're going to get. And you see the Golden Gate Bridge in the background. Here, let me zoom in. You can see it right in here. Well, there's actually something else to notice here as well. What's that? All the characters from the past timeline are on the left, and all the ones on the current and future are on the right. Yeah, they, they did a good job because most people from Western audiences read left to right. So yep. the poster is set up directly to show you the uh, timeline. I didn't yep. even catch that, but you're right. And Godzilla's just there. He's in the background. Because he's not a main character. He's a uh, a, link he's a unifying character. character. A unifying yeah. character, a linking character. Um, so they put him in the background. And it also, you put the Golden Gate Bridge there. So that takes you back to the movie in 2014, which is set in 2015. The only thing I would have added was the Halo jumpers with the, with the smoke tied to their legs. That's the only thing I would have added. What but are you talking about? As a poster, it's it's beautiful. What do you mean the halo jumpers? Uh, if you watch the 2014 film, they send out a uh, SOCOM team. Okay. That do a halo jump out of a C-130, and they have red smoke strapped to their ankle, which is anybody who's ever done a halo jump, you don't want to do that um, unless it's really far off your – body otherwise it's gonna burn okay but they did that and it was a really cool scene so if you've never seen the 2014 godzilla um go and check it out because it's a it's a really intense scene because their whole mission was to land on godzilla you know <laughs> okay so, uh, but yeah, overall, I like the poster. Um, sounds like everyone else did too. Uh, JT, the win for noticing the left to right thing. Good job. Attention to detail. See what I'm saying? Like these, these people didn't leave the little details like you sometimes see uh, with the plot holes and the like, what the hell were they thinking moments? Like <laughs> these are clearly people that love the, the source material and honored the source material. Um, 
as opposed to like what Star Wars is doing now, where it seems like everyone writing for them hates Star Wars. Don't uh, at best, never, never read it. At worst, I don't know what's. I don't actually know which is worse. But anyway, we'll move on. Um, so yeah, I like the attention to detail that you saw. So, all right. If nobody has anything else to add, we're going to talk what we thought overall. So JT, uh, you're the last man standing on a guest cat count. So, uh, what did you think of the show overall? Uh, I loved it. I, I'm really looking forward to more. I, I, I think they did a great job at the storytelling, world building, everything. Um, and especially the set design that, that was just top notch. Yeah. Really brought the story to life. And I definitely wanted to explore like the ruins of San Francisco. Yeah. Because, like I, I'm the kind of guy that like when my dad would go to the junkyard, I'd go with him, not because I was interested in pulling whatever random part he wanted off the car. I would explore the other cars to see what, like, you know, just the, the history of the people who had dropped that car off, what they left. Cause sometimes you get the pictures, cassettes, mm-hmm. letters, whatever. Like for me, it was just the exploring. And so I see that city and I'm like, Oh, yeah. Th- there's a lot of room for storytelling in those rooms. Yes, there is. Um, I, I remember tweeting when I was watching it that I don't believe any government cares about its citizens enough that they would go that hardcore to prevent people in the abandoned city. Uh, and Garrett uh, on Twitter pointed out, and if you don't follow us on Twitter, we share all of the best memes and sometimes we talk sci-fi and fantasy. Um, and I steal most of my memes shamelessly. So, you know, if you if yours are missing, check our Twitter. Um, You're welcome, JR. <laughs> I steal from Abby. <laughs> From Nick, from everyone else. Uh, there's a bunch of veterans That's, in a military meme group. I steal from them too. That's why I post it first and then I send it to you. <laughs> I, I shared what she shared to me before she could share it. She's like, JR, I was going to share that on my Twitter first. But anyway, um, but he was pointing out that he actually thought the soldiers uh, keeping people out of the ruins were monarch soldiers. And since they don't seem like they have ulterior motives and everything, okay, I could believe there was a different reason they wanted everyone out. Um, I'll have to go back and watch the episode uh, where you get kind of a close-up of their arms and see if they're wearing monarch bands. I couldn't tell. It looked like it, but I just noticed the soldier had a uh, beard, and I'm like, holy hell, my army has fallen. Um, and I was, like, making a joke about the the beard, and that's where he was like, no, I think they were monarch soldiers. So I don't Yeah, know. you can tell they're all PMCs. Yeah. So if you ever watch like Pacific Rim Uprising, mm-hmm. um, there's some correlations there about the companies having interest in anything having to do with the kaiju. You know, they in, in the Pacific Rim movies they use the blood, the bones, the brains. They use all that stuff to make a myriad of different products. You know, so why would that not exist in this universe also? And I like that they had the uh, the whole economy around paying scavengers to be official scavengers to go into the city to like your loved ones, like your you know go to my apartment, and I'm like you know. And she pointed out people aren't asking for like you know finding all this gold or or loot I left, money, whatever. Like no, they want like, the bring memory. me a picture of my family, like the At picture of my childhood. Yeah, which I thought was that was that fit like that really hit like you know the emotional feels right. <laughs> Uh, and then when uh, Kentaro, he just walks by one of the bodegas that's, cl- you know, the walls, and he just grabs a bag of chips from it. Uh, and she's like, no looting. They shoot looters, is what his sister tells him. And he goes, I'm eating the evidence. It's okay. <laughs> you know, and it's the funny. Bag of chips. 
as I was watching that scene and they this were one. kind of explaining that, like, we don't go in for gold and stuff. We go in for memories. It kind of struck home for me because I constantly tell my son, um, I tell him, I'm like, dude, pay attention to your stuffed rabbit thumper. I'm like, keep an eye on him, put him up on a shelf or something. So the dogs don't eat him because I've already paid for him three times. <laughs> and he, he's always like three times. I'm like, you've lost it in two different stores where they didn't know if it was theirs or ours and then made me rebuy it. I have bought that bunny three times. <laughs> <laughs> Don't lose that bunny. Don't let it get chewed up. That's your bunny. So, like, when it comes down to it, as much as I'd like to think that I'd go for the Star Wars memorabilia in the living room or, you know, something in the office, I'm like, yeah, no, I'd probably go get the dang bunny. And now let's be real. Nick would be wrestling. Let's be real. Nick would be wrestling Godzilla to give you time to empty all the Star Wars loot. He's like, "Hold on, honey, I got this." And then you'd have time to move I, the moving truck. Yeah, with the armory I have, I'll do the best I can with what I got. <laughs> so, my shit. if you see our office, we are mid packing, um, and it takes a total of thirteen large size Home Depot boxes. 12 medium Home Depot boxes, and I believe it was 15 small boxes to box up the Star Wars living room. And that does not include the lightsabers, which are still on the walls until they go into the backseat of my car. That's just the living room. So overall, <laughs> though, I thought the attention to detail was good. I really loved it. It hooked me from episode one. I thought I'd just watch a couple episodes yesterday, a couple episodes today. I watched all night. I didn't leave the uh, the desk chair because I watched it on my desktop. So, because um, I didn't know I could hook it up to the Xbox to watch it. I mean, my legs were not liking that I sat still for so long, but it was totally worth it. Um, I feel your pain. Yeah, I don't know um, if I'm going to cancel my membership and just resubscribe for season two. Uh, but it was definitely worth the $9 to watch all 10 hours. You can't beat that. Um, I think my last text message from you was at almost 2 a.m. Yeah, I, I kept watching. and It was 5 a.m. when I went to bed. Uh, I was hating life this morning when my kid with insomnia wakes me up. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, oh, I love you, kid, but can you let me sleep for five more minutes? Uh, but no, it was good. It was good. Um, I, I definitely felt it, though, when I was walking around Sam's Club today. I was like, oh, I should have stretched my legs out while I was like intermission for each of these episodes. Um, oh my lord! But I definitely loved it. It's ten out of ten for me. Five out of five. Whatever. It gets all the grenades. Explosive good time. Uh, what about you, JT? How are you going to throw this one overall? It's definitely a five out of five. Outstanding, Stabby. You've already rated it. I'm guessing it's a five out of five for you too. Five knives. Okay. Five knives. Now you've had time to think about this, Nick. Let's see if you can Joe Bob this one out. All right. Oh, sorry. My knee got stuck on my desk because my, my old, my left leg doesn't want to work when I tell it to work. So let's see here. Let's do the, uh, the old rundown. Let's do that. Let's do the counter. Um, 35 dead humans, uh, 15 kaijus, um, one frozen Asian dude in a plane. No nudity, no breasts, 
I give it a I I give it a five cisk thighborn daggers up. You know, going to with the Ranger tradition here, and since Mister Leland Shaw apparently has a Ranger tab, I'm going to give him that credit. But I th- I thought it was a it was a great show through and through. Hooked from the first episode, like we've all talked about. Kept building on, kept going back and forth, and filling in some some questions that you had if you you know seen the movies, you know. Um, but it also left it explained enough where you didn't have to see the movies to be involved in the show. It, it, yeah. it took everybody's hand. And that's what I love about it. It's like, Hey, take my hand. I'm going to run you through this really cool adventure. And I love that. I, I can't wait for season two. I, I'm, I have my theories that Leland Shaw survived his little episode. I can't wait to see what they're going to do with Khan. I can't wait to, I want to see if they're going to do the same thing with Apex that they did with Monarch and how Apex became its little entity within the universe. Because now we have an opposing entity, you know, to Monarch, you know, a conglomerate, a for-profit type thing. So I I love this show through and through. Um, And it's really rare that we find shows that we can, we just love right off the bat, you know? So I'm looking forward to the future. I can't wait. Uh, if I could draw a kaiju, I would. Um, it's it's an inspiring movie, and I or series, and they got the best actors to do to do the roles that they were assigned, and they did a great job, and it made me care for all of them. Um, and I hope Leland Shaw <laughs> survives um, into the future, where they start paralleling the other movies with it, because that's the the thing that I'm kind of like in the back of my mind, like, well, these guys didn't show up in the other movies. Did they, where did they perish? How come they're no longer involved? So I hope the second season, hopefully a third season or however it continues answers those questions. You know, hopefully they just don't kill them off. Okay. And with that being said, it's time to wrap this puppy up. Uh, JT, what are you writing now? Uh, let's see. You're still working on the, uh, Bane short story. And, uh, a little bit of progress on the novel, but not much, uh, just due to time constraints. So I've got a science fiction novel I'm working on that I'm hoping to pan out into a longer series, as well as uh, a few other short stories. I've got some submissions out, uh, waiting to hear back on those. Cool. All right. And how can listeners find you? And as usual, all of this will be in the uh, On my Facebook page, you can just search by my name. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. And then my website is just jtrl.com. Outstanding. So you make it easy for us, and I will just throw all those links in the show notes so you don't have to work too hard, people. Just click the open show notes button, and you can stalk to your heart's content. Because we, sure, we like this is our middle name. Right. That's right. All right. You can find us on our link tree, L I N K T R dot E E, link tree slash blasters and blades podcast. Again, link tree slash blasters and blades podcast, where we link to all the things the bit shoots, the rumbles, the YouTubes, the Twitters, the email blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com for professional purposes only. We have our Facebook group and our new Facebook page. We have Madam Stabby Stabs Instagram, Twitter, and email. So you can send all the hate mail. She's here for it and twice on Sundays. Uh, we have our website at anchor.fm slash blasters, tech and tech blades again, anchor.fm slash blasters, tech and tech blades, where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the lights on. 
These shows aren't free to produce, and we appreciate your patronage. And you can support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast, and I promise I will keep my co-hosts duly caffeinated. They will drink the Java or tea or hot cocoa from Coffee Brand Coffee until they can swim in it. That is the goal. Well, they won't really swim in it. They'd drink it before they could make that much. But, you know, whatevs. Boy can drink. Oh, you fill up an Olympic-sized pool of this stuff. I'll drink and swim. There you go. We've got plans, people. We've got goals. Uh, and with that being said, Podcast Grunts is the code. Links in the show notes. And uh, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For my crazy co-host, I am J.R. Hanley. And this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. If you haven't figured out they've timed this one down because my pacing is just predictable. I don't know. Well, I guess if you're not watching, you don't see all the hand and eye motions that I'm getting from Stabby and Nick. Um, they're doing the sing-along version at home, lip-syncing karaoke style. There you go. <laughs> All right, JT, thank you for coming. We appreciate your time as usual. You're going to have to have you come back yet again. This was a blast. And with that being said, yeah, I had a good time. Boom. Wait for it.